Yes, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness, Lord. I thank you as we sung that you reign. But Lord, I have to think that do you reign in everything in our life? We might say it, dear Lord, but do we really believe it? And so, Lord, we just ask that you reign in every corner of our life. That you look into the cupboards, Lord, and you see our lives, and you just touch us where we need to be touched. And as we come to your word this morning, and we've got a lot of it, Lord, I pray that you touch each of us, me included, Lord, with your love and with your word. We commit this message to you in your precious name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, in the book, God's Creative Power, Charles Cap states, Christianity is called the Great Confession, but most Christians who are defeated in life are defeated because they believe and confess the wrong things. They have spoken the words of the enemy, and those words hold them in bondage. As it says in Proverbs 6.2, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. You know, as I thought about this, this message that um, Charles just wrote that, that paragraph, I thought about it doesn't actually just relate to people who are defeated. You see somebody and you think, oh, they're defeated. You know, just the way they, they walk, they look defeated. And that's not the purpose of this message because it applies to any area of our life that we're not actually having victory in. So we may have lots of areas where we do have victory, but there are some areas that we don't. So I just want to look at that this morning. I want to talk about incorrect thinking that leads to wrong belief which then leads to incorrect speech, then sadly defeat, missing out on the promises and provision of God in that area. Now, if we look at this slide here, if we've got the wrong thinking about something, just, just something we've just got the wrong thoughts, then it goes to unbelief. Because if it's wrong, we're not going to have faith for the area. Then it goes through to wrong speech. We speak it out. And then, of course, we have defeat. And then again, because we're defeated, again, it's wrong thinking, and it just goes round and round and round, and you don't see the victory. Um, I'm just thinking of a little example last night. Sally and I were talking uh, about uh, we, need, we need to move in the next month. We've got to, the landlords are coming back into our house, and we need to find somewhere else. And Sallyan just happened to mention, and, and if God doesn't find a place for us, <laughs> you know, and I suddenly thought, well, where does that fit into there? Wrong thinking? Now unbelief that God's not going to, and I'm not picking on her, but it's just how easy these things happen. And then, of course, she's spoken it out, wrong speech, and then we, we're looking for Hagar, if you know what I mean. And Abraham did the same thing. He, God was slow in his promise, and so, you know, Sarah suggested that he sleep with Hagar. And that's how it works. And then it goes round and round the circle, just little simple things like that. And so I've had a few of these made, and I didn't do that to embarrass Sally Ann at all, because but she's, she's good with it. We discussed it. But I, had the, I made these little things up. If you want to grab one of those and put them on your fridge or something, because wrong speaking means defeat. All right, it's, it can't bring victory. And I'll go and I'll explain that a little bit more as we go. 
before we were saved, we possibly knew little of God's promises and, and or His provisions, all right? And so we had a few Sunday school lessons or teachings or something like that, but that's about all we knew. But now that we're God's children, it's imperative, and, and that means extremely important, that we know His Word and that our speech reflects His Word. Our, our, mouth, our mouths should be like a mirror. So we've got a situation, and we've got God's promises, and our mouth reflects what God's promises say to that situation. Does your mouth always reflect God's opinion about your situation? As one Christian author wrote, your words are building blocks of which you construct your life and your future. Your words set the cornerstones of your life, and then you live within the confines of that boundary that your words created. Now, are you living within the confines of your words, or are you living within the confines of God's cornerstones? In other words, no matter what situation we face or what circumstances come our way, our words can either help us or hinder us. In August 1991, the Reader's Digest published an article titled, Patient Knows Best. 2,800 men and women over the age of 64 were asked this question, is your health excellent, good, fair, or poor? And remarkably, the patient's answers became a predictor of who would live or die over the next four years. Those that rated their health poor were four to five times more likely to die in the next four years than those who rated their health excellent, even if both groups were in comparable health. This study showed that people with a good, or sorry, this, this study showed that people with a poor self-image of their health, whether accurate or not, would talk about poor health. Even though some were in good health, they lived out their own reality even unto death. I hope none of you today are talking about poor health. Proverbs 18.21 agrees with this study. It says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I would say most of us don't really know the power of our tongue. Tell the person beside, me, beside you, you have an awesome tongue. Now tell the person your tongue is dangerous. And lastly, tell them your tongue is powerful. Locked and loaded, I reckon. <laughs> as Proverbs says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. 
Ephesians 5.1 tells us to be imitators of God's, as children imitate their parents. The Message Bible puts it this way, watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. We have all heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names and faces can't hurt me. This used to be, I don't know whether it still is, a retort or a reply kids used as a retaliation when called names or had faces pulled at them. Anybody remember that? Anybody ever said that as a child? <laughs> Give me a wave. That was, that, that, that was tough talk, wasn't it? <laughs> that was before texting and cyberbullying. But we all know now, name-calling does hurt and does cause serious damage. Dealing with negative words spoken over us can be hard enough, but when we allow these words to settle upon us and influence our thinking, whether spoken in jest or malice or anger, or even by professionals like doctors or teachers, etc., these words can harm us spiritually, mentally, and physically, spiritually, can undermine the Word of God. And if you think of an example, I mean, a doctor in all faith can say, you've got cancer. Now, you can then think, I'm going to die or something like that. Or they may say, you've got three years to live. But then what does the Word of God say? So they're telling you the truth, but does it line up with the Word of God? Mentally, it can bother our mind. It can infiltrate our thoughts. It can and then influence our behavior. And then physically, our health can be robbed of healing and ultimately a full life. So words spoken over us can be very powerful. When I was diagnosed with cancer about 2010, the doctor looked at me in horror when he saw it and said, we've got to operate on you straight away. And I said, you can't. I said, I've got to, I'm going to Israel. I'm taking a group of people to Israel. He said, no, we've got to operate on you. It's serious. I said, no, we've got to go. I've got to go. It's organized. So we arranged it for after when I got back. All right? We just had to go to Israel. But I made a determination. I wasn't going to allow the big D to follow the big C, and I wasn't going to tell anybody about it. So I didn't tell anybody that what I'd been diagnosed because I didn't want out in the atmosphere people talking about death, all right, that follows C, that follows cancer. So I didn't even tell them at work. I just went off to have my operation. So it wasn't spoken about. All negative words have the potential to harm. If, and I say if, we believe them, if we dwell on them too long, they become our own thoughts and sadly our own thinking. And that's what the enemy wants to do. As someone once said, words are containers. They carry faith or fear, and they produce after their kind. Words that do not align with God's character have the potential to do great damage to our well-being. The enemy is always trying to deposit lies, false thoughts into our minds, Firstly, to wreck our lives, and secondly, to separate us or place a wedge between us and God. The trouble is, he's been doing this since the beginning of mankind and is very successful at it. 
He started with Eve in the Garden of Eden, right through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and he even had a go at Jesus in the desert, always twisting the truth. Remember what Jesus said about the devil? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So whether it's some negative person telling us we are stupid or we won't amount to anything or a well-meaning doctor giving us his prognosis, it's our choice whether we accept these words as the final truth or not. Before we accept them, we must ask ourselves, do they line up with the Word of God? Would God say the same thing or would He say the opposite? You know, I was challenged with this, uh, with my, my, my sore knee. I was challenged with the way I was behaving. I was challenged because of the prognosis is I, I can't deny that I have pain in my knee. But I also can't deny that the Word of God says, by your stripes I'm healed. So which is the truth and which is the lie? And that's what decided to, you know, to go into this a little bit more depth and to bring this message today. What am I speaking out about that? What is the real truth? And I was challenged by a friend um, of mine who was diagnosed with serious cancer. I mean, she was going to die. And the cancer had got into her bones. It was eating her bones. She, I don't know what the count was, but some, somebody might know. She, the count was something like 356 or something like that. And anyway, she decided that the doctors couldn't do anything for her, so she went to prayer and believing what the Word of God said. She only talked, she only wanted positive people around her, that she was healed, not that she would be healed, that she was healed. You know, I was talking to her just the other day, she's at home now, and that count went down from 300 and something to 250 to 100 and something or rather, down to 76, now it's down to about 56 and they've done x-rays of her bones, and her bones, the holes that the cancer had eaten, are healing over, you know, and she's feeling great. She's positive about her health and the Word of God, and it challenges us, and I think it needs to challenge us. We need these people of faith that believe in the Word of God and stand on the Word of God. To have victory over every situation, health, uh, insecurity or fears, finances, relationships, whatever, God's Word must become master in our lives, no matter how ridiculous it sounds. You know, we can't say we don't know what God's Word says. If you've got an issue with finances, where do we go for the answer? The, obviously, it's the Bible. If you've got an issue with relationships, where do you go? It's the Bible. If you've got an issue with health or whatever it is. But we've got to do the research and have a look. How do we do that? You can do it on your Bible on your app, you know, you can just put a word in your app and it'll come up. Google is good. I just put things in Google. It'll bring it up. It knows the Bible. Google knows the Bible. It's not ashamed of it. You can, whatever you're going through, write it into somewhere and look up what God says about that. Even it's the tongue. If you have trouble with your speech, look up the tongue and God will help you with promises with that. It says... By his stripes we were healed. Fear not, for I am with you. Be anxious for nothing. I have not given you a spirit of fear. Where does the spirit of fear come from? My God shall supply all your needs. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And this was the verse that I was challenged with about our, our property that we need, you know, somewhere we need. You know, just the God says, look at the birds out there, you know. They're out there toiling, but 
you know, God provides for them. They're not storing up in barns and they're not doing what we do. But he said, have a look at them. And it says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given unto you. So I haven't got plan B. I've just got plan A at the moment. What am I saying? God's word is the truth and can and should be totally replied upon. Let's have a look at um, Numbers 23, 19. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? You see, that's what the enemy's always trying to get into us. He wants us to think and have our own thinking. And that's, you know, uh, Joyce Meyer says, stinking thinking. And sometimes we've got stinking thinking. Does he promise and not fulfill? Believing God's word invites his attention, as it says in Hebrews. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And then what does it say? And then he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We all know that we need faith to please God, but it also says if you've got that faith, He will reward you. So where do you need your reward? Is it in your finances? Is it in your relationships? Is it in your health? There it is. There's the verse there. And even when God's Word seems impossible, even laughable, we must believe. As we look at a story Jesus told in Luke 8, Ask yourself, which character are you? Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Have you been pleading with God? Is that you? Do you have an issue that you want Jesus to solve? Are you desperate? Are you pleading with God to do something? And I'm not saying you need to be desperate, but are you desperate? Are you running out of patience? Are you running out of faith? Are you running out of time? It goes on to say, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. You know, that's the, that's the thinking part. Do people come and say, it's all over for you, Paul? <laughs> it won't happen. Or God's not interested in that. Or what if, um, you know, God doesn't come through? Is somebody telling you that at this time? Going on, while Jesus, it says, hearing this, I think we're up to hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. So here we have an impossible situation. They've been told that she's dead, all right? And Jesus says, don't worry about it. So sometimes your situation, you can be dead. You can actually literally be dead, but it's not finished, and God is not finished. And this is where it gets interesting. Who do we believe, the facts or truth? Does your situation appear absolutely impossible? Have you given up? Going on. When he, Jesus, arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let 
anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. They laughed at Jesus because they knew she was dead. Now just think about that. Have you laughed at God? Have you laughed in your mind when well-meaning Christians gave you scriptures hoping to help your situation? They thought they were right. But God looks at things differently. And this is what I want to say to you. God looks at your situation differently to your thinking. When God told Abraham, a man of faith, that he and Sarah were to have a child in his old age, what was his reaction? Same as you. Abraham, Abraham fell face down. He laughed. And he said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Here's a man of faith laughing at God's impossible. And what was Sarah's reaction to this wonderful news? So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord Abraham is old, will I now have this pleasure of carrying a child? She laughed too. Because it was just so ridiculous. God wasn't pleased with them and took Abraham to task. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for your situation? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. That's it. My word says it. It'll happen. That's it. Do you agree? Anybody not agree? If God says it, it's done. We've got to accept that up here and then down here. We all do it. We forget God is God. All right? And as it says on Isaiah, his ways are not our ways. And so it's hard to believe God's word when we are going through tough, tough times. Psalm 23, you see, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We mustn't get, we mustn't forget Jairus' daughter, if you didn't know how that ended. So I just thought I'd put up that. But he, Jesus, took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Give me a wave if God has ever answered one of your prayers. It's most of you. So God's answered a prayer somewhere along the line. All right? Now, if you think of prayers as bricks in a wall, they're all the same size. It's a prayer. It's going out to God. But what the devil does, he pulls out one of those bricks that God hasn't answered yet, and he stands it up on end in front of you so it looks bigger. Now, behind that brick, you can't quite see all your other bricks that God's answering, and he shows you that. And he, he makes a big deal out of that one brick. And your faith starts to wane because you forget about all those things that God actually has done for you, all those answers that he's answered, because this one thing has yet to be answered. Get that brick, put it back in the wall, and say, I know God will answer that as well. 
Let me ask you, was Jairus' daughter dead? Yes? Would you agree? She was dead. Did Jesus raise her from the dead? Yes, he did. Did Jesus die on the cross? A few people. Did Jesus die on the cross? Was he raised from the dead? Does your situation seem hopeless? Has God said it's too hard for him? No. This is a word for some of you this morning. What he has promised, he will do. When mankind was kicked out of the Garden of Eden due to sin, humans, birds, animals, and all living creatures had to adapt to the devil's authority. Only the fittest survived. And so over years and years, man and beasts' brains changed. Your brain changed way back when, when man was kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And we all developed a thing called fear and distrust and suspicion and negative traits. You will know that you do not need to teach your children to be naughty. You love them, you feed them, you care for them, you provide for them, and somewhere along the line, they start being naughty, don't they? And you didn't teach them that. I don't know if you've ever heard the term negativity bias. This is a term psychologists use to describe human tendency to be more highly influenced by and to recall negative experiences rather than neutral and positive experiences. It's because our brain's wired that way. In the old days, it became safer to escape a negative situation than to approach it as an opportunity. Is that a negative or positive? I think in the old days, if there were berries on that bush, people had the choice of picking the berries and losing their life or running like mad. Which would you choose? Because in the old days, your line, your bloodline depended on that choice. So if that bush was shaking and you thought, hmm, that could be something in there, you would run. But it wasn't like that in the Garden of Eden. You know, the animals and the birds and humans didn't have fear. They didn't fear one another. So where did that fear come from? You just go out into your backyard, the birds all take off. If you were faced in that situation, you would run. All right? That's a result of the fall. It is in us. And even though... This bias appeared thousands of years ago to preserve life. It is still hugely prevalent today in our civilized societies. We remember insults more than we remember praise. Negative experiences tend to be more memorable than positive ones. The brain has a tendency to be vigilant and wary. If something good and something bad happened to you on the same day, you'll reflect react more strongly to the bad than the good, even if both events are otherwise comparable, and more likely to tell others about the negative experience. Like, for example, you had a great day, but the boss growled at you at one stage. You'll go home and tell the wife or whoever that the boss growled at you. You bring the negative home. 
When the mind wanders, it's more likely to recall something that made you angry or upset instead of recalling something that made you happy and filled you with pride. If we have a look at this picture here, like an exam, some of you can tell which is your paper up there. Well written, funny, informative, uplifting, but ran a bit long. What do you think is the comment you're going to remember the longest? It's the negative one, and we're wired for that. And so this next picture, for positive experiences to resonate, they have to occur much more frequently than negative ones. Some say three to one, others say five to one. So here there's a balance. Three positive things happen to you and one negative thing happened to you and it balances out because our brains are wired for negativity. So, you know, if you're rude to somebody, you've got to be nice to them three or five times to make it up because people remember that. Oh, the pastor was short with me today or whatever. You know, don't come to church next week. That is why. You've, you've, you've heard this verse before, but this is why this verse is here. Not because you just swear a little bit or not. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what's God, what God's will is, the good, pleasing, and perfect will. As the New Living Translation says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So you see, if you're, the enemy has wired all our brains for negativity, it's not easy to take on God's word that is positive. So we need to transform our mind into positive thinking, and that's where it's done. I know that I've heard this verse quoted many times. It might be somebody's having you know, issues with pornography or the wrong thoughts or something like that. And they say, your mind needs to be transformed. But the reason it needs to be transformed is because the devil's rewired it way back before you were born. And we've got to start thinking the way God thinks. As Jesus said in Luke 6, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For where the mouth speaks, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And it's interesting to hear people speak. And you, you can well not judge them, but you can know what their heart's thinking just by what they say. So what are you saying about your situation? What are you speaking into the atmosphere? What are you creating with your words? You're, when you speak, you're creating something. It's being spoken out into the atmosphere. At the very beginning of the Bible, it shows us this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Think of your situation. Your situation could be formless. It could be empty. There could be darkness in your situation. And what's the Holy Spirit doing? You've got to get this. What is the Holy Spirit doing? Yes, 
hovering over your situation. What is he waiting for? What's he waiting for? Well, in verse, in the next slide, it gives you a clue. Genesis 1, 3, and 6, and all the way down. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters. And God said, that's what he's waiting for. He, the, the Holy Spirit is waiting for you to say what God said about your situation. That's it. And what is God saying about your situation? You will have what you've got if you talk, keep talking about what you've got. It'll just go round and round in a circle. If you keep talking about it, you will keep having it because you're speaking it into the atmosphere. If you want to change what you've got, you've got to change the way you speak. Me too. I've got to change the way I speak. Because the Holy Spirit is waiting to act in our situation. We need to be saying what God is saying. We need to be speaking life, not death, over our family, over our health, over our finances, over our relationships, and over our minds. We need to be speaking it over our children that aren't saved yet. We need to be speaking it over our grandchildren. Not that they will just get saved. God's already on that path. You asked the first prayer you prayed. God was on, the, on their case. You need to be praying that they will step into the promises that God has ordained for them. You need to see them in those promises and going on and declare it. Romans says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, you've heard a lot of Word of God, but actually when you speak it out, it does more for you. When you actually start speaking it, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O God. You cannot think wrong thoughts when you're saying that to yourself. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto you, O God. And you could probably sing that. Hey, Lance? We'll get Lance to sing it for us. It's been around a while. So once our minds grasp it and our hearts take hold of it as truth over and above the enemy's lies... Our speech changes, and then our circumstances change. So let's have a look at that slide again. If we've got right thinking, we have built faith, and through our faith, we speak right. And what do we get? Victory. So then we think right again. When God said to Jesus... When he said, the father said to him, look, you and your mum are going to a wedding. And they're going to run out of wine. And I would like you to turn the water into wine. Had Jesus seen that done before? 
Had the disciples been doing that? Do they normally do that? But God said, this is what will happen. Jesus said, okay. He goes to the, the wedding, and they come and ask him, and he knows what the father's already told him, and he does it. Then he goes back to the father and says, it worked. You were right. And it built faith in him. He's raising the dead. He's speaking to fig trees. He's speaking to the storm. And each time you'd go back. But did the enemy have a go at him? Did people have a go at him? Did he have problems? Did they, did they challenge him about who his father was? Sure. That's life. But he knew the father had told him. And he built faith. We've got to build faith on that circle. Right thinking. Faith. Right thinking. We've got the wrong thinking. No faith. And then right speech. We speak it out. I'm laboring the point, aren't I? Do you get it? You got the point? All right. Minds, hearts, speech, circumstances, in that order. Can, can the uh, musicians come up, please? Has anybody here got a situation that they want to see the hand of God move powerfully in? Give me a wave. Anybody want to see a relative saved? Anybody need healing? Anybody need finances? We're going to pray. Because I believe that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. When you wake up grumpy, grumpy gets up, grumpy goes to work, grumpy comes home, grumpy goes to bed, right? Start the day off. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Christians are changing the atmosphere, but grumpy people aren't. The Lord says, speak to your mountain. Speak to your mountain. And he who believes in his heart, it'll be done unto him. Let's stand. Let's place your hand on your heart. If you haven't got an issue, you know somebody who has got an issue. Pray for them. Pray for breakthrough for them. We're going to close our eyes and we're going to pray. We're going to speak the Word of God. And if you don't know the Word of God over your situation, you're going to ask God for that Word. You're going to find out today what that Word is. It's in the Bible. It's been spoken. It's truth. My God shall supply all your needs, it says. By His stripes I am healed, it says. Whatever it is. Noah and his family were saved. Rahab and all her family were saved. Cornelius and his household. Does your household need to be saved? The whole lot. The shipwreck. The shipwreck. Not one died. That's a picture of God's salvation. Every prisoner on that boat survived. Start praying for your situation. Start just believing. Speak the word of God over it.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, dear Lord, that you are a God of the impossible. You raise the dead. It is not difficult for you. You heal the sick. It is not impossible for you. You provide for your children, Lord, in an amazing way. And Lord, we want to grasp what you say about our situation. We want to believe in our heart what you say about our situation. And we ask forgiveness for unbelief. In fact, we come against the spirit of unbelief. Even though we would say that we believe every word in the Bible, our lives and our tongue have not always honored that. So Lord, forgive us if our mouth and our tongue has spoken unbelief. Lord, we're going to step into a new life. We don't want to die in the next four years. We don't have poor health. We have the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and we pray that into everybody's situation now. Lord, you know what each person in this room is going through. You know where they need victory, and you have promised victory, and we claim it in the name of Jesus. You said that we are overcomers. You said that we would take dominion. You said that we are your children and we inherit everything that you gained on the cross. The cross and your, the price that you paid gives us the victory in every area of our life. And we say thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's worship God.